This fellow Ronaldo is a cod. Arsene Wenger has been in Japan for a year. He doesn't know anything about English football. I will love it if we beat them. This is football heritage. Con Giovanni, yeah, incredible. Dribble, 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 dribble. If you don't know the answer to that question, then I think you're, you, you, are, you are an ostrich. Wednesday afternoon it was announced that the Guardian's David Pamzel would be taking over as the Premier League's new chief executive. It was only four days later when the Premier League title race would take yet another dramatic turn, and yet no one in the UK was able to watch any of it. Hello and welcome to the Total Football Podcast. I'm your host, Declan Heron, and joining me is Andrew Conway. Hello. And the returning Matthias O'Flaherty. Hello. Andrew, will this move finally see the Premier League into the will this finally see the Premier League move into the modern age of sports broadcasting or will we forever be stuck in the past? They were looking for someone for eighteen months. They will try to do more progressive appointments. It's probably the best you could have hoped for. I don't know what attracted David Pemzel to the role. Well, they they initially had um, I can't remember her name now, but she was a Eurosport, I believe, and yeah. uh, she walked away from it. Then she suddenly, from it, yeah. without any real explanation for it either, it was very kind of ominous for the role. Yeah, and, that's what makes you think it's like what was wrong with the role. And but then they, it, it took know. eighteen months as well. Uh, and it feels like it took eighteen months, but they were looking that eighteen months. They not, were looking. No, yeah, they were. Everyone knew your man wanted to leave several years ago. What was his name Richard Scudamore? Richard Scudamore. Yeah. Uh, but. Yeah, he he's only he's gone now. I think. Is there anyone currently in it for this? There year? is an interim. There's been yeah. an interim the whole time. Because uh, obviously he got that golden handshake then that was also kind of controversial. Yeah, four million from each club or something. Yeah, ridiculous. it was yeah. something ridiculous. Yeah, when you consider the the wealth in football and all that, and it just yeah. felt bad uh, to put it bluntly. Yeah. Um, it is it is interesting to note that pencil made his reputation. Um, turning around the Guardian's online section yeah that's what mainly. I to bring yeah. it up so that's probably what's worth um, keeping tabs on with yep. his appointment yeah. and the pay as you pay what you can yeah. met, uh, is what the model the monetization model the Guardian use and you know they're back in the black for the, they're one of very few newspapers probably globally of their size certainly in the UK they're the only one in the UK that they, are they've certainly in the profit. they've certainly adapted to the kind of modern world of journalism in a way that we could kind of would we would like to see happen with sports broadcasting yeah. because as I said like being unable to watch the Liverpool Leicester match on on Saturday at 3 and then being able to on, on being unable to watch the Man City Wolves match then on Sunday that one really felt ridiculous because well there's no at least the three o'clock one there's the legal restriction that TV sports broadcasting can't be televised from quarter to three to quarter past five mm-hmm. so like there's an actual legitimate reason why that couldn't be on TV that's out of the Premier League's hands at the moment but the two o'clock on a Sunday there's no restrictions there so like why wasn't that on TV yeah they made a bad call uh, they they chose to go for the Southampton Chelsea and there could be contractual reasons for doing that but the it'll be interesting to see what will happen because we already have the models that work in other sports like sure they're different in in american sports most most things are regionalized anyway so if you live in cincinnati you do not want to watch anything really other than cincinnati teams play why would you care about when orlando are playing or when miami are playing like if you're they they don't so their model is they just show you all the matches for your local team and then that changes where depending on where you are and then you have the the kind of premier league global model the premier league tv as they you know they brand it and they release the footage globally the same footage everyone gets they show all the matches and it's almost on a red button type of situation where they just select whatever you want to watch and they're all there for you. 
And really, that's probably the best way to go when yeah. you have two kickoffs on at the same time, being able to switch match yeah. to match whenever you want. And it would eliminate the, the, the kind of stupidity that exists in a lot of... Um, which Sky, you know, have pushed, and a lot of other organisations have also pushed by having matches on, as you've said earlier in the season, Declan, matches on every day of the week. So yeah. you have Friday night football, you have Saturday morning, afternoon, evening, night at, at occasion, Sunday morning, evening, afternoon. Like, Monday like, night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, and you're just starting the whole thing all over again. The, the future of the of Premier League broadcasting, if they aren't going to remove the the three o'clock kickoff rule, which you know might or might not happen, they'll have to. If if they were to not do that, it almost feels like they'd have to remove three o'clock kickoffs from the calendar we're for Premier League there. teams. We're almost there. But like, of course, if you want to, pr- like in Italy, there was a lot. There was a huge Italy and Germany had two huge traditions of their kickoff times and they never instilled this rule and there was huge pushback by local people when they started moving matches to like Saturdays away from Sundays in Italy or to move them in different times on a Saturday in Germany and they didn't have this rule so they kind of just okay we'll put them on all at the same time and we'll give you options to watch whatever one you want and we'll still get the occasional big you know blockbuster fixture that we'll put on like the Derby d'Italia at the weekend they put on at a a specific time to get the most audience of the Saturday evening match, isn't it? Yeah, it was yeah. Su- Sunday evening. Sunday evening match, but, rather than Sunday afternoon. But the problem, though, is then how do you actually facilitate the fans as well? Because fans in England have been very furious with various Monday night well, Whenever Brighton because, play Newcastle, it always seems to be on like a, a Sunday afternoon or but Monday. Like, even look at uh, the last Monday night football was between Arsenal and Manchester United. So that would have involved Arsenal fans having to go from London up to yeah, Manchester. Yeah, you wouldn't stay overnight, in the probably. Yeah. And like the train infrastructure in the UK, which I suppose the Premier League can't do much about, just isn't no. good enough to support this kind of thing. So it feels like they need to limit those matches to when, say, Arsenal play Crystal Palace or Man yeah. United well, play enough, Liverpool. That's or, the thing. There's enough teams in each. Like, there's only. Like you said, Newcastle, Brighton, or Newcastle, nor you know places that are difficult to get because of the way the transport network works in the UK. They they can't you can't eliminate those matches from the fixture list, but you can make them at three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon and make them the most successful possible for the fans. Having them on a Sunday evening or a Monday night, which is a weekday as it is, which would you know precipitate you having to take a Monday and Tuesday off to go to see a match, and you know very often would force you the way they have the timing of the fixtures would force you to actually have to leave work early even if you were local if you're a home team to get to the stadium in time for everything to keep going and everything like that the like i think maybe if they got rid of that rule you'd suddenly see a much greater focus on those three o'clock matches and maybe it wouldn't be unusual to have maybe seven or eight a week be on at three o'clock on a saturday afternoon and then maybe having one sunday night sunday afternoon match a big big match maybe the lunchtime kickoff maybe the evening kickoff I'll be honest, um, the way that the traditional broadcasting system works, I still don't see anything more than one or two of the blockbusters happening at 3 o'clock on a, Sunday, or on a Saturday, yeah. so that Sky get one and BT get the other, and there's nothing else worth televising, really. Yeah, if traditional broadcasting persists, that is the way, but, you know, this this guy's coming in now, they've made that preliminary deal with Amazon already in the next, is it this season they're going to broadcast a whole fixture uh, yeah, list? Yeah, they'll, produ- they'll have uh, the two midweek games that we'll have, uh, both in December. They'll they'll have all ten games this yeah. season. So that'll be an interesting to see what happens because... That's as close to a red zone as I think we're going to get, which is, you know, obviously what they have in the NFL. Yeah, and we can jump between as things happen and that's like... It, it, you can say oh it's about the attention span of the of the public now and about the inability to, to stay in a match for a certain amount of time and, and then they have the other side of it where people are like I don't care about 
Southampton versus yeah. uh, Wolves or something like that. But I do care about Man United versus Liverpool. Yeah, and that's that's the big thing, really. Play, our fans only want to watch their own team play. Yeah. And then keep up with the goals from the rest of the games. Yeah. There's no reason, really, that um, everybody needs a staggered kickoff so long mm. as a fan can watch his own team play and then switch between the other matches at will. Yeah. They're going to be happy. Because the, the, the Premier League product, the problem, the reason why it's become such a global attraction to everybody isn't because isn't just because you have Manchester United playing or you have uh, Liverpool playing it's because you have Man City joining the group it's because Chelsea joined the group it's because Spurs joined the group it's because Arsenal joined the group it's because Leicester won the Premier League it's because a team that can survive relegation one on the last day of one season can go and reach Europe the following season or a team that was in Europe one season can be relegated the following season like Newcastle basically done that both times like this, can, these teams can go up and down. Leeds United can get to a Champions League semi final and can be relegated two years later. Like that's what the Premier League has that like most other European leagues and global big leagues certainly don't have. And by allowing a kind of a greater proliferation of these other teams to come to the fore, you get a greater competition in the league first and foremost. But you also can grow all of the popularity of all these desperate team so you can have like Leicester City probably have huge global fan base now just because they won that Premier League but as well as that like teams like Bournemouth probably have a because people like their kits or you know Southampton because they have that conveyor belt of youth coming through or even Brighton because they're just that bit weird that they you know they get a global you know fan base can like Brighton because oh Brighton's a funny word isn't it that's a funny name for a place and can get fans that way and unless they're on TV and unless they're given that push which I don't think Sky or it's or I don't think it's in the it's in the best interest of like Sky or BT at the moment to give a push to those smaller teams because they are operating in the UK market where they know the big teams and they don't care about these smaller teams. If they had a choice, they do the Agnelli Juventus uh, plan for the Champions League of only having the big teams play over and over again without realizing that that's what will dilute your product. You need to have that variance in your product, otherwise the whole thing will fall down. It's a house of cards, otherwise. And then just bringing it back into the pitch, uh, we talked about there briefly the Tottenham race taking a dramatic turn. Liverpool dramatic two-one win against Leicester, last-minute penalty. We 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 built up this match saying that you know we'd learn a lot about both these sides going into. We we gave Leicester a chance, and the, you know they almost got something out of it. It's almost proven correct. Almost. So so what did we learn from this match? There is a weak underbelly, as we like to say, uh, with Liverpool, which is. If they play two matches in a week, they tend to be suffering by the time that second match comes around. And they can see the four goals in these two games as well, yeah. which is unusual. Like the, the, they were three 0 up against Salzburg, and then were brought back to three all. Yeah, which uh, you wouldn't imagine any Premier League team doing. Deliver- the American especially at coach Anfield. Jesse, what's his name at Salzburg? Uh, I can't remember his name now. Jesse's yeah. his first name. Did you see his? He gave his uh, his halftime team talk leaked. Oh or yeah, as an American German, which was kind of funny to watch because you don't normally see an American speaking German. Uh, just saying attack Virgil van Dijk attack him get at him he isn't the uh, as this all conquering centre half if he's if you isolate him he's slow and they did that and that's how they got at, at Liverpool um, I don't know if Leicester did the same thing or was more of a controlled performance I, I did think that Liverpool looked weary 
Yeah, I think that's probably the biggest thing for them with uh, the amount of pressing they do. They're always going to be tired legs mm. and uh, the rotation didn't seem to do enough to keep players rested there and you're going to wonder how they're going to manage that going throughout the season. Yeah, because they, like, they, they're... They haven't reintegrated players or integrated players in the way I thought they might in the summer with the return of Oxley chamberlain with the return or the kind of a season of being blooded for Fabinho. And they still look a bit raw when they play and there's still a lot of players picking up a lot of minutes. Probably wouldn't have expected James Miller to be the linchpin that he is still or Jordan Henderson to still be, to still be in this the whole time. Uh but the, the, you know that's that's kind of where Liverpool are at the moment, and we're we're saying this having them having won, yeah, like, but and our top of the league, and how many matches in a row is it now? Eight. eight. Yeah. They've won eight from eight, yeah, and I think three or four at the end of last season. And it's more well. than that; they're on seventeen now. Seventeen consecutive yeah. victories, yeah. yeah, not including Europe. Obviously. And, and the next one, of course, is uh, at Old Trafford as well, mm-hmm. which is uh, which if they win would equalise City's record, yeah, uh, that they set under Guardiola a couple of years. So this is nice. Which he didn't win the league when they did that. Uh, no, they did. Oh, is that they when did, they? Yeah. Oh, yeah, they broke yeah. his own record then. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, but then City themselves lost two 0 to Wolves. Unexpected. Well, not necessarily unexpectedly. I think it was we, unexpected. At home, I suppose. But we built up Wolves a little bit in our preview that no one got to hear uh, last week. Yeah. Uh, say, technical <laughs> yeah, whatever happened there. Uh, but with Wolves, you know, we we talked about how they have a good record against City, they have a good performance in them against City. Sure, they haven't had the greatest start to the Premier League this season, but th- this was probably their best performance this season. Yeah, definitely their best performance this season, definitely the best result, but at the same time, um, City would win that game still most times you played it. You know, they had mm-hmm. probably the better of the game, not by as much as they'd expect, but uh, Liverpool were in a very similar situation maybe not so much against Leicester they could have had um, a goal or two earlier on to settle them but um, you know those are the games that you talk about grinding out a victory in yeah. Liverpool got that win and City just didn't yeah. and you have to say like in, in fairness to Wolves and with all credit due to them they're not the side they were last season I don't think they're a side to match Wolves over the course of this season or sorry they're not a side to match Leicester over the course of this season so I think Liverpool winning after a Champions League tough enough Champions League fixture and then City not doing it after you know I know they're a bit ravaged by injuries but you you kind of look at them and they're like what is when things and this is always the way with City and we've said this earlier in the season when things aren't working for City they don't have a plan B and sometimes that's wonderful that they stay true to their true to their foundations stay true to their ideology and keep trying and not panic and maybe eventually it will work because they believe in it that much but you often you're we're more than often now seeing this that when a team can grind them to a halt when when that standard ball outright when Kevin De Bruyne is not there to play when uh, like XYZ Sané's obviously been out when they're missing defenders which they have been if a couple of things just fall out of the out of the puzzle that is Man City you can see they're actually quite brittle and they don't have an answer to a lot of things. And this is something we've seen throughout Pep Guardiola's career as a manager. Barcelona had it when they would like when they'd lose Victor Valdez was essential to them. I remember one when the Real Madrid uh, won the league that season, they just didn't have a backup to him. When uh, obviously Bayern Munich when they just kind of fell apart with that first leg of the Champions League and it continued the other seasons in the Champions League as well, just end falling apart. And with City it's kind of looking the same now. Like a couple of of of, of important pieces like Sané like De Bruyne 
if they don't function and Guerrero would be another one of those if you if he fell out of this as well you suddenly have a very not ordinary team because they are still exceptional players but you have a very um a very structured way of playing that without that bit of genius in it is very easy to combat instead of looking like a team that is in- invincible in many ways they just kind of look like a normal team like a normal good team mm. like, yeah. like when Ferguson won as many Premier League titles as he did he never went on these kind of long yeah. runs they would they would drop points here and there they, yeah. but they'd still usually win the league pretty comfortably in some seasons like it, they just are a normal team now we just we have to kind of revert our mind back to two or three years ago when teams would win the league with 80 odd points instead of nearly 100 yeah unfortunately no one's told Liverpool this because they've got yeah. an 8 point lead now well they, they're under the impression that's what you have to do and that's what they did last season and yeah. it wasn't good enough for like, them like, like City set the standard and now they can't match their own standard but Liverpool yeah. are still yeah. Like they still have that drive because they haven't won the league. Yeah. Like City do have the the cushion of oh well we've won the last yeah. two. Yeah. The hardest thing to do is to win again and yeah. then to win again again, which is a thing globally. Unless you have a, a huge advantage over your competition, it's only now in the yeah. era of the super club that we're seeing the likes yeah. of Juventus and Barcelona yeah. and PSG and uh, Bayern Munich as yeah. well. Traditionally, dominate. someone would break that up at some point or another, but now they have so much power and control that like look at Real Madrid, they're an absolute basket case. They're top of the league in La Liga. Yeah. Somehow, like, partially through Barcelona being just as big a basket case. Yeah, and right. even Atletico to an extent. And Atletico, Atletico yeah. I can understand because Atletico sold their technically their best player. They sold the everyone, lynch, the linchpin of the defense, and they brought in a bunch of kids. And I don't think any. I think the way they performed in the first four or five games of the season was a surprise to everyone, Atletico Madrid included. Uh, but with with Man City, like I, I think these performances do. Like they, I think this was a result that I didn't necessarily go into the match thinking, all right, they're going to lose this. But because of the injuries that they've had, it's not surprising. Because I remember against Everton, they won 3-1. But it could have gone either way. Yeah, yeah. And, and watching that match, it was obvious that this is not Man City the way yeah, they usually yeah. are. Because that was normally... Normally, when you see Man City won 3-1, you think, oh, Everton actually scored a goal. Yeah. But this is a match that when I was watching, I was like, Everton scored a goal and they should be getting another. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing that City are missing right now is Laporte. You know, I think yeah, he's, he's been huge. I think he's easily the biggest injury because they don't just don't have the quality and depth mm. at the back that they do going up front. I mean, yeah. they brought on Mares the last day, had a great game. You know, former yeah. player of the year in England. Exactly, that's not a bad sub to bring in. Yeah. Whereas at the back, it's nowhere near the same quality. Well, like yeah, Pep doesn't trust Eric Garcia or that other guy they have from the youth team. So I, I know Enrique I think his name is yeah and he'll play Otamendi a player he was absolutely gave him his send off the last game of the season last year put him on for the last few minutes so he could say goodbye to everyone somehow still at the club doesn't trust John Stones doesn't trust who else is at the club for defenders that is anyway experienced that, that's, that's pretty much it for yeah. experienced defenders yeah you see that's, that's bad what, like, what's interesting as well is, and I think it was Ken Early brought, it, brought this up in his piece on this match is that uh, we, we, we talked about this in the first first couple of weeks of the season of like Man City are kind of still getting away with this tactical fouling mm. but they're not getting away with it as much now I don't know I still think they are I just they're, don't think they're executing the fouls as well yeah there's, they're still getting away with the fair bit but uh, Rodri isn't as good at it as yeah. Fernandinho yeah. is yeah Fernandinho clearly Fernandinho's yeah one he of the best the, in the world he's seasoned yeah. he yeah. went to the Sergio Busquets school of uh, tactical fouling yeah. yeah. and Rodri will probably get there but maybe not this year because yeah. there was a passage of play there where I think it was Nicolas Otamendi took out uh, Ruben Neves or maybe it was Rodri took out Ruben Neves and then uh, Craig Pawson played advantage and then Otamendi took out whoever it was that had the ball and instead of just giving Otamendi the yellow card he actually went back and gave both of them the yellow card so mm-hmm. I thought that was significant 
there's a mentality I, I get what you're saying there and, and it's true I, obviously the refs have picked up on it it's known which is always dangerous like Ashley Young I always use as the, the poster boy for this as soon as Ashley Young got the reputation of being a diver he really couldn't really dive ever yeah. again in his career uh, even though he still tries uh, th- that's that's what happens because you get a reputation and suddenly it affects your whole team but I think there's a mentality issue with City at the moment I think everything they seem to do they they thought they were doing so well and they you know they come back in the Champions League they you know keep it going as if you know everything's going fine in the Champions League that's our main focus for the year that, that's what they've been saying going into the season or that's what's the implication going into the season but you're looking at their the week to week form and how they they're I don't know if Pep's trying to build this everyone's against this type of thing or the whole situation's against this type of mentality. But I don't think it's it's transferring onto the players. Like they're having injuries, they're having problems, obviously we're not we're not gonna go back into the Bernardo Silva thing, but I think that's affected him. Yeah. I don't have any doubt in that. I don't know what the story is w- with the relationship in the dressing room. It seems a bit strained. Yeah. It's interesting you said that us against the world sort of thing that Pep mm. does seem like he's trying to build and that's never been sort of the no. image you get of a Pep team. It's always more like We're better a, than everyone. Yeah, a headmaster and his a headmaster and his school <laughs> yeah. children almost yeah. sort of, you know, this is our way of playing, yeah. you know, this is what I've taught yeah. you, go out and show the world. Yeah. Not so much, you know, everybody's against us and we need a band together now. Yeah. And this is the the you know the famous fourth season in Barcelona is when everything kind of fell apart he didn't even get a fourth season at Bayern either so no he decided to leave before and even then his Champions League results deteriorated in the third season uh, so I do feel increasingly that this could actually be his last season at City yeah and this is always it was always a distinct possibility like I don't I want to reiterate what I said last week until like Gary Lineker I think made a sarcastic comment on Twitter that said oh you know it's Liverpool's league to lose now when have they when have they lost a lead like this before? Dot dot dot. Yeah. But you know, I while I take that a message on board, I I actually still think, and I said this to you last week, getting past Leicester in the way they did, especially because th- that was a draw right up until the last moment, until the ninety fifth. That, that was a big win. Yeah, that was a big win. But I still said that match plus the next match would be the would be the making of them if they can beat Manchester United at Old Trafford. Which for whatever it's the same as Arsenal going to Old Trafford for whatever the problems are with your club. If you're Arsenal, Manchester, or Liverpool going to Old Trafford, it seems to be this kind of weird cyclone that happens around form. That it doesn't matter; it's going to be a, a dour match that will, at best case scenario, finish in a draw. Yeah, and yeah like, we're going back to Brendan Rodgers when the last time there was uh, any way of a you know uh, a match that went to form. Yeah, and, and even then, that was a match where they got three penalties. Exactly. In that game. Yeah. yeah. And honestly, I think the biggest thing for this Liverpool title challenge now is how they react to when they do lose because it's going to happen yeah. at some point. Yeah. You know, I thought it was going to be Leicester. Yeah. yeah. Um, and how far ahead they are because yeah. uh, if they can keep up this mentality they have right now of you know needing 95, 100 points to win the league then I think you know if they can keep that after a loss yeah. or a drop in form they're probably going to end up doing yeah. it. Whereas if they're far enough ahead that they turn around and see City still eight or nine points behind that could invite a little bit yeah. of complacency and that's really the biggest danger I'd see with them because otherwise I think they're the best team in the league. Oh, they are. They played yeah. the best. That Robertson goal. Do you remember the Andy Robertson goal? The In which? The last week? No. When it was uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold cross. Was, oh, I heard about this but I didn't see it. It yeah. was a fantastic goal and it was like that's that's easily the best football I've seen all season. It was him playing one-twos through midfield and then just kept running and then the ball went out and he just kept running. The ball went out to the right-hand side to another couple of players and he just was in the box as if he had told he had told Trent Alexander-Arnold you're going to get the ball in about five seconds and then I'm going to be there so just play a ball to me and I'll tap it in 
and that's what happened and it's they're on the right wavelength throughout the team again you're saying when they lose when they crumble mentally that could happen they are very how would you say it they're very light when it comes to experience on the ground if they lose the first string of players if they lose Firmino again like they did the end of last season if they were to lose one of Sané or Salah I don't know where the goals are coming from. I don't know where the, the, the composure is coming from because you, you saw how how close they were against Sheffield United just screwing up. If it was, you know, Sané yeah. had a bad day at the, at the Mane. office. Mane, sorry, had a bad day at the office, hit the post, missed some easy chances. Firmino made some bad decisions and if if things had gone a slightly different way, maybe they don't get a result from that, but yeah. it didn't. If you drop those players from it all together, who's coming in? Uh, Divock Origi? Again, yeah. you know, he came on, I he's been Shakiri. playing... Yeah, no. has Shakiri like yeah? No, it is, and I do agree with that. Like, if um, they lose Van Dyke or Firmino, like if City lost Laporte and Sane, yeah. I don't think they're going to cope with it nearly as well. No, but um, it will be interesting to see, especially um, with uh, Guardiola, like you're saying, this fourth season. You know, I think he needs to either win the league or the Champions League again for this to be considered a successful stint at City altogether. Yeah, I. And the Champions League, really? Yeah, yeah. I, I get what Champions you're saying. League is the big one. I think the Champions League will hurt his reputation, but at the same time, he hasn't gone to teams that have. He went to. He hasn't gone to a place where it's easy to win the Champions League. He's gone to Bayern Munich, where historically they do not win many Champions Leagues since the seventies. They've been to a pr- plenty of finals, but they tend to lose, and they had just won one. And he's gone to Man City, who've never won or never performed that fantastically in Europe, and their fans don't really seem to like it. And you know, they're, 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 they haven't performed to the best of their abilities. Really, they've been beaten by lesser sides. But the only thing going against him at Bayern Munich and Man City is history, which is frankly irrelevant to what actually happens on the pitch. True, true. So. But I think with, with Pep, and this is what's what's the name of that book written by that other guy that you know the, the Pep Confidential. Pep Confidential, it? yeah, about the guys like Pep's. Pep is really only ever defeated by himself. Like that's why they explained that he like he explained in the Champions League, certainly. Champions League definitely. He explained the semi final defeats uh, at whatchamacallit, at Bayern Munich were down to Real Madrid and Barcelona respectively. Down wasn't Real Madrid and Barcelona they say? I'm getting that right, haven't I? Um, I think so, yeah. And Atletico. And all, Atletico, all well Atletico I think was very much that was a complete that was a that crazy was a match. Fluke, that yeah. was like penalties going both sides, both sides missing penalties, late away goals, missing like shots being clear offline. That was complete that could have gone anyway. That was a toss of a coin. But the the first two certainly was Pep he said in that book Pep Confidential that he went in, I was like, I'm gonna beat them, I'm gonna beat them this fantastic way I've thought of outsmarting Ancelotti into the Real Madrid match and basically one mis- he didn't count for two players making a mistake and a breakaway goal happened and then the result of that breakaway goal makes his players panic a bit more and then another breakaway goal happens and then suddenly they're two, two goals down and then they panic and they can't put the ball in the back net and Real Madrid put 11 men behind the ball and then keep on picking them off on the break and something very similar happened in Barcelona with the, the Barcelona match as well except it was Messi a Messi show and it was like just Messi beat everybody yeah. no matter what he like that, that Messi goal where he took out Boateng is probably yeah, he made Boateng fall over by just like yeah. Me- looking had, at him Messi has a great selection of goals to choose from but that's probably one of his top five goals. oh yeah it's definitely up there uh, yeah. but, so but, like these are because Pep overthought the whole situation he kind of yeah. ruined himself with it the and reason, is he doing that again at City yeah the reason I kind of brought it up again is because if you look at Klopp's you know job at Liverpool in the same time period if he goes and wins the league this year I think you can call it more successful <laughs> build a statue 
Build a statue, yeah. yeah you like, can call it more successful. They painted the mural of Brendan Rodgers when he finished second, like in Liverpool. Like the the there is oh he'll go down in Liverpool folklore. So he's one to like he will overtake Rafa certainly, um, if he does do this because he's got to a Europa League final. He's got to a cup final. Was it a League Cup final? He's got to. I mean, he's been to several uh, cup he, finals he's that he's lost. The League Cup and Europa League final. Yeah, yeah, and the Champions League twice. Which is what Pet, what uh, Rafa did roughly. Rafa just won an FA Cup on top of that. That's the difference, I think. So if he wins the Premier League, brings it back after thirty years, it's thirty years by the by the end of the season. Yeah. By the end of the season, you know that's yeah. that. There's some kind of symmetry to that. And then if I were him, I would leave. But he <laughs> yeah, might. He might do like I, we don't know what like the the modern say the modern way of looking at managerial stints is. You go for somewhere for three, four years, and that's your cycle, and you're done, and you get out. Is Klopp? Klopp? We often say he's a modern old school manager. He's rock and roll. He he's a man manager in the old sense, but then he does these tactical tweaks the way that Mourinho would, or the way that Pep would, and has an ideology about football as well. But that ideology is flexible, the way all managers would be flexible about different things. Is he a manager that wants to stay in Liverpool in the long term? I I'm not necessarily sure, and I'm not. But it it could be an interesting thought if could could Klopp last 10 years he's probably not and because I've said that he'll be sacked by the end of the season but you know they could collapse like altogether finish ninth place champions uh, Leicester City that would be entertaining <laughs> yes uh, but then on the other end of the top six uh, table the other end of the top six yeah the the other mad cap whatever you want to call the current top six is Arsenal are up into third they're only one point off City yeah, no one at the Emirates actually seems happy. Sorry, just to clarify, are United or Leicester in this top six? Uh, we'll go with the tables top six. Okay, right. Okay. Uh, the, the, it's a bit of a weird looking top six. Crystal Palace are six at the moment. What with Tottenham also. It's only away. been eight games, so it's it. it I know it's a, nearly a third of the season. But it's also weird that Arsenal are third. Because no one seems happy there. Everyone, like every, everyone's talking about how Emery has to go at the end of the season because yep. his contract is up. The the fans already seem like they're gonna get the thanks for the memories, Unai. But it's time to go sign out. Yeah, well, like Unai Emery has no set style of football, and that doesn't mix well with Arsenal. It's this classic West Ham way, Everton way, Liverpool way, Manchester United. They've way. Argue, they've been the, the most exciting team to watch this season and except, last season. It's arguable as well because yeah. of how topsy turvy they were to watch. They're conceding goals, but they're scoring just about enough to win games. So I think the biggest issue is probably um, it's very hard for an Arsenal fan to see how much Emery can improve this team like he's bringing through youth players like that's something Arsenal fans can be excited for like Joe Willock has been playing Saka's been playing Reese Nelson's getting game times uh, your man who plays right back has been in the team Callum Chambers re- uh, Ainsley Minton-Niles yeah exactly yeah. Uh, Rob like, Holding's back he, he's yeah. gotten rid of certain players that needed to go but like the- the, the thing with Unai Emery is he doesn't have a set side of play. He plays a reactive counter-attacking type of football with a team that's not really capable of playing, not really solid enough defensively to play that type of football, even if he is bringing through youth. He has fallen out with various players at the club and that's been, you know, he can't get rid of players. They don't. He doesn't command their respect. There has been critiques of his ability to communicate with players, uh, as in they don't know what he means and they just kind of okay and they go out and they do their thing anyway and he's just shouting at them from the sideline they don't know what he's on about there's those type of aspects that are a bit worrying about it what you're saying about the positives of his reign I'm not necessarily sure are positives relating to what he's done or what have the club actually introduced as a framework because they have had two years of Per Murder Sackers leading the academy they have had this weird 
idea now of switching the under 23 manager the assistant manager role uh every season so that the under 23 manager brings through players into the first team so you're looking more see bold and freddie Youngberg being the reason why players have been brought through to the first team from the under 23 teams because they actually have a conveyor belt there and a direct link with the underage sides in that result and you also have a greater kind of um uh, uh, like a proper administrative structure in place that has Edu at the forefront, but also Ralph a scouting network that you know has existed for years, pulling player and their, they have their own analytics department that pull together all of these things to create a, a, a structure for a coach to flourish in. And the, the point of a lot of Arsenal fans at the moment is that Emery, with all of this at his disposal, has not stamped any type of identity or authority on any of this. But how many managers in the modern age would actually facilitate that? kind of uh, scenario or that kind of environment for him to work in a lot of managers would still even in the year of the director of football would want that control that like they would they want to be like no i'm uh, this happens with the under 23 teams they play it this way or whatever these are the players i want to bring in i don't care what book you have what agent contacts mm-hmm. you have i want this player this player x player y player instead of this oh yeah you know you bring in that player that's fine I'll play him in my team in, in every occasion in this in Arsenal's case Unai Emery's been overruled he wanted to bring in Charles Nzonzi and was given uh, Lucas Torreira he wanted to get rid of certain players and was sold to keep them because they're young and they're you know achieving something he, but, but he's not you know put up a fuss in a way that say Antonio Conte would like you know I'd he, almost rather have Conte's attitude because you know where you stand with that you know with Emery, he seems to be dissatisfied the whole time. That's spreading to the team, like mm. we said earlier, that he's fallen out with players. You know, it feels also like it's not even in the squads now, and he's playing being paid four hundred or near, he's roughly over a million pounds per but month. That, that's not on Emery though, because that contract was signed before he was at the club. No, but you try and work at what you have, and it's clearly, but like, don't like if you're going to ostracize a player. It's you see, if this was a once-off thing. It would be okay. He's trying to deal with this player in a certain way, but the fact of the matter is, he did it twice at two separate occasions last season to Ozil himself. He did it to Aaron Ramsey at one stage last yeah. season, and then when Aaron Ramsey got injured, suddenly the Arsenal's form fell apart later on yeah. in the season. He he's done it with Mustafi currently, who's coming in and out of the squad, who's kept yeah. a clean sheet in every match he's played so far. Somehow, yeah, this yeah. season, like it's he's not man managing the people very well. Like um, Granit Xhaka has had howlers of matches and is constantly getting like booked club and captain club captain made yeah. club captain and apparently and then to push it out put it out in the in the media that the players voted for this during the summer so yeah, why do you only announce it yeah. and why do you use the players as a smoke screen for it honestly and i think with that ozil thing the bringing him in and out and in and out is the biggest issue he's got wrong there if you don't want ozil and you don't want him around yeah. your team don't have him around your team because he's still you know, he's been there for years. He's got friends in that squad. There yeah. are going to be people looking at this. He's and one saying, of the captain five. He is yeah. a vice captain of the club. Yeah, and there are going to be players in the dressing room looking at this and saying, you know, okay, the first time, you know, he doesn't want him in the team. That's football. Then he comes back. They're happy about this. You know, they're mm. enjoying football. Their friend is back playing with, and then he's out again, yeah. and then he's back in again, and then he's out again, yeah. and. I can't see any way that that doesn't breed resentment. And there, and he's talking about his fitness or his commitment and training and things like this. But then, if if he's not, if he's doing the old Paul McGrath, not trying that hard in training, and then still pulling out passes like he did against Watford in during a match, okay, maybe he's he he is thirty years old. Maybe training isn't for him anymore. But then you don't play him at all, and then he doesn't train at all, which means he's not match fit. He didn't play the first several weeks of the season because of the incident with the attempted robbery and kidnapping mugging type of situation him and Kolasinac faced. 
So he's already behind everybody else in terms of match sharpness and match fitness. And they're not even putting him in the under-23s or anything like that. They're just ostracizing him entirely. And is it a way to force out a move in January? Maybe, but they're devaluing him every moment that but, they're not doing it but overall like how does that how do you explain the fact that they're third and one point off Aubameyang scoring in every single match basically except for the last match which he uh, David Luiz scored that that is the difference at the moment he is the top scorer in the Premier League I think or joint um, I think it's Aguero Abraham and Aubameyang all time yeah. on eight and he is like if you look at his what points per goal I think he's carrying Arsenal in a lot in a lot of ways there like they haven't had a clean start to the season. They've only lost one match, which is against Liverpool, which is not disrespectful at all considering how Liverpool have done. So they they they've done quite well, but they're they're certainly not. Um, I don't expect them to have an easy ride to third place by the end of the season. And I think a lot of stuff will happen. Yeah. But do you think this There's, is sustainable in any way, Matthias? Well, that's what I was about to say. I think there is a feeling that um, seeing as how much Aubameyang is doing for this team, it's going to fall apart. You know, strikers do hit slumps. <laughs> Yeah. Five games without a goal, and how many points could Arsenal take? You know, if they're still playing Louise and Mustafi at the back, yeah. it's hard to say because Louise hasn't endured the best beginning at Arsenal either. Did get a winner at the weekend, though. To yeah, be fair. yeah, yeah. Looks like it might be turning around for him, but um, he had a odd howler or two before that, and he'll have that in him the whole time, yeah. you know. And I, Arsenal as a team just don't respond very well to that sort of thing happening to them in a game. No, um, it's a dangerous like him and Jack on the same team does not give me a feeling of confidence in yeah. any game. You know, I want three goals before I could sort of feel comfortable, and it's very hard to sort of all right this year maybe with um, all the other teams contending for third place being a bit of a mess in their own way. It might be enough to get them across the line, but if there was a team who were more settled not even City or Liverpool's quality, just a bit more settled, knew where they were going and playing well, I would, you know, I'd be much more confident in that than Arsenal. Yeah, absolutely. If Spurs got their act together, which is possible, you know, it's yeah. crazy, but it's possible, or one of the likes of Leicester City yeah. got a run together, there's yeah. nothing saying they couldn't yeah. at least challenge Arsenal for that third or fourth spot. Or United starting to score goals, or Chelsea sorting out their defence. Yeah, any of these things could happen, and then yeah. suddenly you're looking at Arsenal and thinking, I don't see any way they're going to get ahead of them. Exactly. And, you, and yeah. the biggest thing is I don't see how Arsenal have that fix, you know? Mm. Like we said, Chelsea's defence, if they fix that, if United start scoring, if they fix that, if mm. Leicester put a run together, you can see how all these teams yeah. are going to do it. Arsenal under Emery, I don't see that. It's a, well, the, the ace like, in, in the ace in their pocket or up their sleeve is the fact that Lacazette has been out this whole time and they've kept winning. Aubameyang's been able to carry the side and he will come back. And if Aubameyang slacks off, you can trust Lacazette yeah, to pick up a bit of the Pepe slack. Yeah, Pepe still to come in and actually do something. Or he's still finding his feet in England. It seems. But Matthias is right. There's when you look at. Like Manchester United, probably a similar thing, so we won't go into that. But you look at Spurs, and it's uh, there's clearly some kind of attitude problem there that has to be adjusted. At Chelsea, you're looking at it's inexperience, and they get more experience as the season goes on, and that will happen adjust. And maybe Frank Lampard also needs to get experience in that regard. With Leicester City, again, it's probably more of an experiencing of getting used to winning week in, week out, which is something a lot of these Leicester players who weren't at the Premier League winning side aren't used to. So they have to get used to grinding out victories against teams that they should be beating, which is something that that dif- differentiates you from finishing 7th and finishing 5th. Yeah. And with Arsenal, it's more of a complete system thing where you have problems, like you have defensive problems, but then they can keep, sheet, keep clean sheets. 
you have midfield problems, but then they can still be solid and create really good goals like they ha- have done. But with Emery, the main problem is a system thing. He co- he sets out a team to, to play with seven defenders and three attackers. The attackers will press, but then once the ball goes past a certain area, they stop working. They say four. So then it's seven players behind the ball. And if those seven players get the ball, they don't really have a, a plan or a system the way that, say, to bring it back to Pep Guardiola earlier, his plan or system is to get the ball out wide, to switch the play, create space and create overloads on the wings. And obviously with with, with uh, whatchamacallum, uh, Jurgen Klopp, it's to get the to overflow the wings as well and get as much players into the central areas as possible to create goal scoring opportunities. With Emery, it's kind of, it's so destroying. It was like this last season as well and you could kind of look at it and say, he's getting to grips with the players he has. He doesn't know how he wants to play in England yet. But it's the exact same thing has happened this season, which makes you think, he doesn't really know how to set up a team to attack in the Premier League. Yeah, and honestly, this kind of still feels like Emery's first season. Mm. You know, if it was, you'd maybe give him a bit more leeway. But these are all things you've been looking at and seeing since last year. And he's shown no real signs of knowing how to deal with them or how to change this. So I think that's probably where the lack of optimism is coming in. As we head into the second international break of the season, rumours are already beginning to swirl around regarding the long-term employment of various managers across Europe's elite clubs. We saw Javi Gracia be ruthlessly sacked against uh, during the first international break last September. Will we be seeing any more during this two-week period? And more importantly, will any of these potential changes be necessary or just another panic move by a club with no direction and no planning? The, the, way, the, the only obvious one that comes to mind absolutely is my prophecy from last season of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer because he's the only obvious one you the say. only I, I think so because you're looking elsewhere you're like Wolves I think Nuno, Nuno Espirito Sante he's he's just beaten Man City they're not going to sack him now he's a manager who I think his methods are, are waning at Wolves he's a kind of a, a reactive coach that can get a lot and his methods end up not working after a while I don't see him being that Wolves next season bar something amazing happening uh, I think it would come to a natural end if it doesn't come beforehand. Well, well they but are, when you're lo- they, he has seemingly turned it around short term anyway, because since the international break, they have won. I think their last three games in a yeah, row now. So, yeah, and yeah. they're fully and they, against tough opposition, he, and they're fully capable of doing that. But I'm looking at other, you know, other managers. The only reason I would see at this point to have a managerial change at one of these clubs is because there is a systematic problem that cannot be resolved by anything other than. A managerial change. Well, then, what uh, systemic problem? What, how do you solve the systemic problem other than a managerial change at say Tottenham? Yeah, there there is a there is a point to be made there. The only thing I'd say about Tottenham is their their framework of of club. Do, I don't think would allow for a quick change of manager. So I don't think it's in the best interest of uh, Daniel Levy as chief executive of the club to change manager at this point. I understand what you're saying that you know it doesn't seem to be working there seems to be disharmony in the, in the dressing room they're dropping points left right and centre they've lost 17 matches in the calendar year 2019 it's not looking like they're going to like arrest that at this point they're going to lose more before the end of the year as well will they get to the Champions League uncertain and you know there, there doesn't seem to be anything can do about it but is that a fault of the manager or is that a fault of the framework of the club and in, the ter- in terms of Mauricio Pochettino and the Spurs side I think it's a fault of the framework of the club and I don't think Pochettino leaving will put Spurs into a stronger position while I agree that there's a lot of similar problems at Manchester United I don't think Pochettino and Solskjaer are of the same level 
then uh, who would come in at Manchester United then, do you propose? There's a complicated choices they can choose. It, like, it depends on what you want to do with the club. If you want to... I'll let you speak now yeah. in a second, Matthias, because I know you want to come in on this. But the, the, the it depends on what you want to do with the club. If you want to establish a firm framework, like though Liverpool have done, like Man City have done, like Chelsea are attempting to do, like Arsenal are attempting to do, uh, like Spurs basically did with the way, the way they gave back Pochettino and went after the project that he pursued like Southampton have done in the past and currently are kind of rejuvenate now like Leicester City are doing where you have a clear idea of these are the type of players we want these are the type of football we play we want to instill uh, like the Vincent Company said when he came to Man City the thing they wanted to introduce and that's why they signed him was the club means something playing for Man City means something and at Manchester United and at Spurs at the moment, I think that's lost. But with Spurs, I think they have a manager that can do that. And at Manchester United, they don't. So they need to bring in someone who can either have that force of personality behind them to make Man- Manchester United, playing for Manchester United, mean something to a lot of these players who don't have that connection with the club. Or you go the completely opposite direction and you're like, we're going to play a style of football and this is the style of football we're going to play and we're going to pursue this 100%. In which case, we're employing a, a coach that does this is a complete system-based coach, the Eureka Saki method, and go after it 100%. And that you have a huge choice, like any of the German managers that are currently in operation over in Germany. like I, you, you, They won't get it because they don't have the name recognition because that's not what Red Woodward goes after. But, you know, Wagner, uh, then your man at... Um, what's the name of the guy that just got the job at... Uh, oh, he's not going to leave. Uh, Nagelsmann isn't going to leave. Nagelsmann. Like. I'm not saying he is, but I'm saying that is the, the style of manager you have to pursue. If you want... Like, uh, a PSG, what's his name? Um, Thomas Tuchel. Like, those are the type of... Complete, seen- they're devoted to their systems and nothing else. It's that or you go completely opposite direction and you employ... Which I think they've already done with, with Solskjaer, but they could go again and employ maybe a more experienced manager the like you know a Mourinho like appointment at the moment the only manager that's out of work who's the only manager that's out of work of that stature well that's that's Allegri. actually what I was going to bring up Matthias there Allegri, were, yeah. uh, there were reports this week in the Guardian that uh, Allegri is apparently learning English with a view to uh, becoming the Manchester United manager how do you think that would fit well first off I don't think any of these hackings are happening over the international break but um Honestly, I think for Allegri, it doesn't necessarily mean United. There are a couple of clubs that could be open. Uh, Arsenal could be open come the end of the season. Uh, I, I only mentioned United because that's what the Guardian mentioned. Right, in yeah, 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 of course. But I think, yeah, if um, Solskjaer goes at the end of the season... Um, She'll guarantee. I, uh, I don't, if he it's, lasts. it's looking, it's looking yeah. like yeah, that Yeah, if 12 months from yeah. now Solskjaer is still the main United manager, all three of us would be very surprised. Yes. Yeah. Um, Something would have... Like, Man United would have won, like, Something massive. Something, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so well, I think I think Pochettino would be the favorite to come in and take over, um, with Allegri probably being the second choice. And, and the timing does seem kind of right for both clubs. Of like, okay, it's time for Pochettino to maybe leave Tottenham at the end of the season, and Manchester United yeah. will be available with Solskjaer there, and then obviously Real Madrid have to factor into this. And they're another one of those clubs I wanted to bring up because you mentioned that the top of the league. Uh, but uh, in La Liga but I still just am not convinced by Zidane they're they playing don't. horribly and they're just skimming through matches they almost lost to Club Bruges midweek yeah, they, is, in is a lot that, of ways that, they should have lost to Club Bruges like they were fortunate although they had you know more shots and more yeah. possession but they were the, fortunate to come the, out with a draw the XG for that match actually interesting enough was 2 all Yeah, uh, and that was what the extra score was I've never seen that before yeah. 
It happens sometimes. Yeah, apparently. Uh, but with Zidane, I just I with his first stint at Real Madrid, I know he won three Champions Leagues in a row, but yeah. it's and mad. League. It just just never made any sense. Like and they were a team. Assistant. And was an assistant for another Champions League yeah. victory, yeah. And but it just never made sense. They never seemed to be the best team in Europe or the best team mm. in Spain. Yet they just kept winning the be- yeah. the biggest trophies yeah. somehow, and it didn't really make any sense. France and now, you know, half yeah. down as well. And now, were, like Zidane has this golden touch. And now again uh, that he's back, they they keep to, they keep just seeming to pick up the the necessary points. Like they won mm. at the weekend, but they went three 0 up and then went. Uh, were pegged back to 3-2 and they were on the ropes and they did make a 4-2 in the end but it could have gone either way Like, and that is very much Zidane's Madrid they could yeah. lead a game 3-0 and still conceivably not win yeah. it It's um, there was a lot of friction in or in Madrid over the transfer window uh, uh, yeah you know, the politics of that club yeah. is strenuous at I, best it would not surprise me if Zidane was either fired or just decided to leave himself you know there's a lot of discontent over there and, and Mourinho of course lurks in the shadow Mourinho, there yeah, because yeah. despite the way that first stint went at the end where it was inevitable he'd go because of the politics ironically enough it's it's Perez who was apparently pushing him to come back yeah and, and uh, wouldn't we all love to see that we all would love to see that just for the crack really <laughs> to be honest but because yeah. uh, realistically Jose Mourinho has shown nothing yeah. to prove that he's worthy of the Real Madrid job at the moment no uh, but apparently it was only uh, Sergio Ramos that vetoed his return uh, at the end of last season same with uh, Antonio Conte Ramos apparently uh, Ramos. pushing his weight around lately yeah, at Real very, Madrid very uh, very outspoken yeah. and God knows how long he's going to be there you know he he's, was almost out the door last summer yeah, yeah, he's made himself a fair few enemies at that club and yep. you know but as soon again, as he's not he just point Ramos as manager he, he came up with an important goal still for them yeah, well, uh, that's against the thing. Bruges that's why he's getting to veto these managers um, but it's also worth looking at Bayern Munich I would not be surprised if they've got a vacancy come the summer yeah because uh, I was going to bring up the Bundesliga but I feel like <laughs> I think we might have a bit of time next week to bring it up instead uh, but at the moment the Schalke are top of the Bundesliga you mentioned David Wagner he's he's only just in there now after leaving Huddersfield last season uh, but there's what's four points I think separating the top ten sides yeah, or something, something ridiculous like, yeah. like that Dortmund are seventh, yeah. uh, and they just keep seemingly dropping points from winning positions. Uh, there was a thing there where Marco Royce giving out uh, giving out to a reporter who questioned Dortmund's mentality, mm-hmm. uh, which just makes me question his mentality even more, especially since yeah. the, the results since then. But Bayern Munich, this is the year where they should be running away with it. They've invested in the summer. They brought in players like Perisic, Coutinho. Um, they brought in they brought in more players. I just can't quite remember the names. No, they have. But they've, they, they've signed they've, well. Like. They've replaced the the old players they were relying on but they've replaced them with other old players or not old players but like they've replaced some players who aren't I wouldn't consider not to use the cliche but they're not hungry I don't look at Philip Coutinho and say oh that's a hungry player like you watched in the Champions League wasn't that hungry in that match they won 7-2 though yeah Yeah, but it wasn't down to him I feel like a lot of the time Bayern Munich don't need hungry players they just need players who want to come in and win you know be carried to a win almost and that's not happening as much no I know they started badly last season and you know they could turn around and go win 10 games in a row Dortmund imploded that's the only reason yeah Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, including what was a 5-0 defeat against Bayern yeah Yeah. which would have that turned the league they would have won the league if it wasn't for that But um, I don't think the manager they have right now, I don't think he was ever really intended to be more than a transitional no. manager and he somehow held on yeah. to the job for, is this third ne- year now? 
Second year. Second, Second year. year. And Kovac was brought in because he'd done extremely well with, with Frankfurt. And then Frankfurt turned out to continue to do well without him and selling all their players every season. And they, you know, it's like, oh, maybe it's not the manager that that we should have. Like, maybe it's their whole system we should have taken over. Um, and they're learning that now. I think in the in the longer run, but like, th- like there was talk last season of him being removed at multiple times. Yeah. It, sometime around this time last year, they're like, is this the right guy? Certainly at the Christmas break, they in in Germany they were like definitely investigating alternative routes yeah. to management and who was available. And then it, it was only the only reason he survived the summer was a bit of luck he won the league and they can't really sack a manager who's won the league despite not having playing very well and having a lot of players kind of come to the end of their their natural end of their careers at, at Bayern Munich like so Robin and Ribery went off yeah. to Fiorentina you know the, and a lot of injuries like they had like uh, whatchamacallit coming back in goals um, I've completely forgotten his name Neuer Neuer Manuel Neuer was coming back after a long term injury yeah. last season you know there was a lot of mitigating circumstances this season he doesn't have those mid-game like you've like you've said, they've invested heavily in the club. Serge Gnabry's playing the the like he scored four goals against Spurs last week. He's that was playing, a breakthrough performance for him. Like, well, he was Player of the Year he, last year. He, he's been well. He's he's been playing well in Germany, but he hasn't really shown up in the Champions League. No, that's yeah. what I mean. Like that brings him. That smashes through a part of the ceiling and it moves yeah. up and moves yeah. up the ladder. And normally, really, I know he won the league last year, but that should kind of be the standard expected at Bayern Munich yeah. at this point. You know, like the, really, you'd want to judge a manager on his Champions League performance. Second round defeat. A Admittedly to the team that ultimately won it, but it was the meek manner in which yeah, they went out that they really were exactly. Yeah. And uh, a repeat of that this year, you know, any sort of disappointing loss, and I th- definitely think that's the end of him. Because remember, Almost. it was it was Carlo got sacked because he didn't play well against PSG in, yeah. a, group in a group stage. stage match that didn't, as it turned out, didn't matter in the slightest. Yeah. And Carlo got sacked having won the league. So it's amazing when you think about it that Kovac has la- has lasted this long. Is and Carlo then around for any of these jobs? Yeah, well, he's at Napoli, and Napoli are kind of in their default yeah. position, and then, uh, second or third in in Serie A. In Barcelona as well, like a tradi- a team that doesn't traditionally sack managers mid season, but like the way things are going, it wouldn't surprise me if Ernesto Valverde became one of those managers. Like they the only rid of him last year. Uh, the only reason he's still in the job is because Messi doesn't dislike him. Yeah, you know, and, like, and you Messi, get the you get the impression like how much longer will that yeah, last? Yeah, there's there's definitely a sense that uh, the patience running out with him at that club, like especially like because obviously they they won the last two league titles and rather comfortably, but that's almost become the default for this messy era of mm. Barcelona. Yeah, and, and big... then their Champions League performances like they've done well up until just complete calamity against both Roma and Liverpool like really embarrassing defeats there is a documentary coming up I've seen a little bit of it uh, about Barcelona's season last year which I wasn't aware that they were making (laughs) and I saw clips from when they lost to Liverpool when they lost to Liverpool in Anfield dressing room after it and they were quiet it wasn't that they were distraught they were just like just like yeah quiet is a good word for it they were just what are we doing like, one thing they were like they, this is, does not look like a team that's just about to win the league title and it, you know at a canter yeah. like they, compared to Man City when they lost like they didn't they you know the Man City documentary the season before they carried on yeah. and made a thing to win the league and Barcelona yeah. didn't and it's like they've already this this coaching site has already vacated the area yeah one of the one of the biggest problems for all these managers is just um, how weak their domestic leagues appear from mm-hmm. the outside or even from above because in reality you know 
we might not be giving them as much credit as they deserve mm. in some cases but for all of these guys you know they're kind of expected to win the league especially you know Valverde didn't have much of a challenge from either the Madrid teams last year and no. um, PSG I mean if you don't win the league there what are you doing yeah uh, Bayern Munich very much expected to win the league every year so they're all being their Champions League performance are being scrutinized to a degree mm-hmm. that you know really hasn't been happening for these guys before normally winning the league is enough yeah but you could conceivably, especially PSG or Bayern Munich, you could win a league and cup Dublin and still get fired if you went out in the Champions League last 16. So when there's so much pressure on one or two games, um, it's hard to say whether the manager is truly underperforming or whether you know you lose that one game and suddenly the whole morale at the club is gone because mm. that's the prize that everybody's looking for. You know, Kovac, I admittedly haven't been following as closely as some of the English leagues. But it would not surprise me if, you know, after that Champions League loss, that was kind of it for his players. And that's, you know, if that feeling is dragged on through this year, you know, they were just done with him after that. You know, one loss can decide your team. And I don't know how good a manager he is, but you could see some talented managers getting lost like that. Yeah. And um, hopefully picked up by other luckier clubs if they are actually... Well, uh, I personally think that Thomas Tuchel has Arsenal written all over him. I, uh, yeah. At PSG, I just don't see them doing enough for him to warrant another year. At that I think, club. I no, think he's no. another one that's gone unless they do something very impressive in the Champions like, League. Again, it all comes back down to the Champions League. You mentioned domestic leagues being, being weaker. Like That really is why we're seeing some of these managers under so much pressure despite them actually achieving plenty yeah. to warrant like if, if they were doing that at other clubs they'd be happy enough to win a league title yeah. you know maybe get a cup final here maybe get a Champions League knockout round against Barcelona yeah. or something like that yeah. coming up but just to go back to Barcelona for just one, one point is I, I remember distinctly in the first leg like, I think it says a lot about what's going on at Barcelona that uh, it was at 3-0 up they had a breakaway with Usman Dembele and Messi if you remember in the like 95th minute it was like one of the last kicks of the game and Dembele just kind of meekly kicked it right into Alisson's hands or maybe put it wide I can't quite remember but Messi was apoplectic with him and you just kind of knew right there then like Messi knows this team is meek enough to concede yeah. three goals in Anfield and it was very prophetic, really. In the end, I think that I think you're, that's that's a big old leap of logic there that for Messi to be that clairvoyant. No, but, but like uh, it just said a lot that like Messi like was that no, angry at three yeah. 0 up. Like me- he knows Messi they is, need like, everything to to beat Liverpool. There's an attitude out there that Messi isn't. You know, Ronaldo's this uh, this narcissist, and Messi is not like that. But Messi is as to be as successful as he's been. You have to have that drive. You have to have the bit yeah. of narcissism in him, and he clearly does have that. And that that is what separates teams that have won a lot like this Barcelona team like a lot of these players are winner. you know they've won Champions Leagues in their lives they've won leagues in their lives some of them won World Cups in their lives and what's left for them and a lot of them are like I don't really care anymore and they're running through the motions till they retire I'm looking at Busquets I'm looking at uh, PK PK almost I'm looking at Jordi Alba I'm looking at some of these younger players then who are kind of like feeling what what is my role like uh, Roberto or uh, isn't yeah Sergio Roberto Sergio Roberto like what type of player is Sergio Roberto like he gets played at fullback sometimes gets played in the midfielder gets played as a right wing like are you a utility player for uh, for Barcelona or are you a great player in disguise like we don't know and if they can you know chew up and spit out the players like Coutinho if they can like make Dumbele he was for sale all summer like yeah. for the right price what's going on at that club like they need um, 
I know transition is an excuse that's applied too much, I think. But they need some kind of, um, I don't want to say iron fist, but certainly some kind of control putting back in there. Like there's a presidential election and maybe that will shake things up, that you actually have to make a difference with this club and do something. They're they're in desperate need of a, a right guard type shake up. Yeah. I know, I know it won't happen, but how entertaining would Antonio Conte at Barcelona be? Oh, that that would never happen. It, no, absolutely even, not. Even absolutely like, not, but it'd be fun. Even disregarding the fact that he just is an Inter Milan, you can take Allegri as an example, and like he's not a Barcelona manager. No, as, it, as good as Allegri no, seemingly is, he's not Conte, a Barcelona manager. Conte as well, not a Barcelona manager. It would no. be a lot of fun, though. Yeah, you w- you would be interested in that kind of se- like from a from a from a voyeuristic point of view. You're interested in that kind of complete sea change of a club like Barcelona would have, with a manager like Allegri or a manager like Conte coming in. But yeah, like you said, I, I find it very unrealistic that they'll back anyone but an ultra attacking, uh, you know, uh, someone who's born of the Dutch style, which neither Allegri or or Conte are. But then, just to move away from the super clubs for a minute and bring it back to the Premier League, we've got Marco Silva at Everton, where it seems yeah. like it's inevitable that he will be sacked. The only yeah. Sorry, I was just going to say, I think they're probably going to give him, you know, at least until January, unless they're in serious, serious danger of relegation. Which you know. they're not. No, I don't think they're going to be in the relegation zone. Yeah, it was, only when, it was only when Coleman did have the team in the relegation yeah. zone that his position yeah. became untenable. Yeah, yeah that's, and that's uh, in fairness to Bill Kenwright and your man that's now uh, there. Farad Mashiri. Like, they are very patient with... Yeah. Um, their managers always have been historically they, much like Barcelona in a way like they don't historically sack team yeah. sack managers yeah. mid-season yeah. Like, going back 20-30 years that's that's the way they've always operated and I don't see them changing that quickly unless you know but, but there has been talk of maybe David Moyes making a return to the club in the short term I don't term. know if that's if they were to remove uh, Silva that might be a you know a stop gap to the end of the season like, but you'd like hope when, they could do aim a bit higher when, yeah. when I look at the teams that we have been talking about I always think like okay yeah sure things aren't going well for Solskjaer Pochettino Valverde Kovac whoever but who actually comes in especially mid-season like it's so much more difficult for the big clubs to bring in someone mid-season that but, isn't just a total interim like a yeah. Gus Hiddink or a Rafa I think, Benitez I think mm-hmm. that is what happens oh, for most big clubs Rafa to Tottenham is my my uh, hot take, yeah. but that's a tangent. You, you know, if 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 the like, it's unlikely because of Pochettino's in a contract. I don't think the the board is going to sanction a, a, a firing of him. So I, I find that very unlikely. But if it were to happen, I don't think Rafa would be a bad appointment for Spurs. But just to bring it back to Silva, then I think Everton have so much easier. Like they don't really have anything to lose. Like they're not going to get relegated. Yeah. They, they realistically won't be able to catch seventh place at this point. May, well, may, no, they would. Uh, Maybe they would, just yeah. get seventh. I mean, it's only it's, five or six I, points. I don't yeah. think they're good enough to break through the top six over the course of a whole no, season. They're the not, squad. No. So they can afford to maybe write off the season and try bring in well, someone left field. It's not writing off the season. It's more this is reality. Like we said, this like if you are a fan of a, a club in the middle somewhere, like Wolves, like Everton, like Crystal Palace, who are there at the moment. And you're like, okay, do we want to? Do I want my team to be entertaining, and stay in the league and finish tenth or eleventh, or do I want my team to be awful and finish eighth or eighteenth, depending on how the season goes? And I know which I would choose, which would be the more entertaining one. And that Marco Silva does not provide that. And so, if you know, I are an Everton fan, I would go for that change and try and get someone like you're saying a bit more left field in there. So to wrap up then, uh, of, of the ones we've talked about, of the teams we've talked about, which manager do you think is first to go? First. First to go, yeah. Solskjaer. Okay. I think he lasts until summer and then gets fired. No. 
I think the spirit of ninety. 90- Nine, he said, he said last 92. week he can't be living in the 90s yeah well I think as far as the optics are going they don't want to sack him in the middle of the season just because I, you know yeah, it looks terrible yeah. for Woodward yeah. his he's position, done it before his, he has done it before sacked a manager after winning the FA Cup as well yeah yeah. and I'm not saying he won't be sacked I just think it won't happen until the end of the season unless they're genuinely down at 15 and or I honestly don't think the Glazers care about Woodward so he can operate yeah. in his own fiefdom for all they care well, that's the biggest reason I think it won't happen until the summer because they don't care. Because um, I, I imagine Woodward almost yeah. be more expensive to remove than a manager. Yeah. Um, well, out of, ones, in out of the ones we've talked about, it's kind of hard to say because a lot of these guys I don't see going before the summer. So, so uh, do you um, think uh, we won't see any of these sacks? Do you think all these managers will survive to the end of the season? No, not all like, of them. Mar- Mar- one so, 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 so which one's gone? <sighs> Kovacs, maybe. Um, if if they get knocked out of the Champions League in a humiliating fashion again, <laughs> whoever, I think he's yeah, gone. Whoever goes out in the Champions League last sixteen, so I, Thomas Tuchel. Yeah, to, like if if they go out, then yeah, yeah. They, Tom, might, they kept which manager was it? They kept to the end of the year and then Emery because he won the league. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then he went to Arsenal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, that's, mean, and that could happen all over again. Yeah, that, say, that's what I mean. Can I say Steve Bruce? See, right? yeah, See, Bruce maybe. isn't a bad shout either, but that, um, that victory, the two victories he's had, yeah, are well, going to like he's what he's one point behind Manchester United. Yeah, being serious, I, being serious, I think that Mike Ashley's too cheap to sack him. I think he's too season. apathetic as well. Yeah. But they're uh, one point, they're one point behind Manchester United. What more could you ask? I mean, my uh, another answer I would throw out is Kike Sanchez Flores. <laughs> not impossible. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not to be honest, but I give him till Christmas. Yeah, I'd give him till Christmas as well, but it wouldn't shock me. It's just it's. It just came up this week because it feels like there's a lot of teams going through a lot of turmoil at the moment. Who's in the bottom ten at the moment? I don't think there's a manager safe in that. Have group. a look. Uh, I think except for I think like Daniel Farke. Who do we have? Wilder. Sheffield United. Uh, I Sheffield United are thirteenth. I, I don't think they're going to be sacking anyone. No, I like honestly we we discussed Sheffield United before, and I think they play a very interesting side of football. But I don't think the quality of player they have is good enough to play that side of football in the Premier League. And I think they're they are a team that could not saying they will. But they are a team that's capable of going on a ten-match losing run. I, I still don't uh, think that I would think, result in them sacking. Chris well, Wilder. I think that might. Would, yeah. I think that might get him sacked. But I don't think he's in danger right now. No. Like out of our ten, Burnmouth, I don't think um, they're going to be sacking Eddie Howe anytime no. soon. No. Uh, Wolves, maybe. No, like I'm I not thought, he's come out. He's come I, back I, since I the last international month. break. Yeah. yeah. I think. Yeah, I think he's fine till at least Christmas. At this and point. United. United, I don't think he's safe at all. Uh, Sheffield United. Again, we discussed that. Uh, Brighton. He's not safe at all. Aston Villa. Though credit to Brighton for the good performance. No, yeah, week. absolutely. They 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 did great great against Spurs. Uh, Aston Villa again not safe at all. He was only brought in this time last year. Newcastle. Uh, yeah, we talked about. Talked about. See Bruce. Yeah. No, Southampton. Hasselhudl. Yeah. The only thing with Hasselhudl is he's one of those managers in that group that if Manchester United were to pursue a systematic way. That would be the type of manager you choose to go to go pursue for. He I, seems more like Tottenham I, would go I, for. Would, also, really, Tottenham is that, and it's the Southampton Tottenham Expressway. When has one of these German managers come into a big club and transformed it? Not Klopp. Don't talk <laughs> about Jurgen, Klopp. Jurgen Klopp. Jurgen Klopp was Arsene Wenger smells as Lorenzo. So he's Jurgen, almost German. Jurgen Klopp had a much bigger profile coming into the Liverpool job. Yeah. He'd done a lot more. I think a lot of these German guys are great for mid-table team. I don't know well, how well it translates. Yeah, um, it's always like that until you have the first. So, yeah, yeah. Everton. We talked yeah. about Everton. Norwich City. I, I don't think they get rid of Farka. I they, think they do. I, 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 I think I, they've been ravaged by injuries I think, and really I think unlucky. They have had I think terrible injury problems. As well. I, think, I think he's got another month before questions start getting asked. If they're still down there, 
then he might be in trouble all of these teams panic and Norwich have done it in the past and they could do it again I yeah I don't know 8 games is still pretty early yeah and uh, that's going to do us for this week's episode Uh, thank you for joining us Uh, thank you for being here Matthias thank you thank you for being here as ever Andrew thank you and uh, we'll be back in next week for that mighty international break yay thank you for listening if you enjoyed this episode then don't forget you can tell family and friends about the show spread the word of the Total Football Takeover you can also follow us on social media at the TF Pod on Twitter and Total Football Pod on Instagram you can also be found on podcast services including Spotify by searching Total Football Podcast the more the merrier that's what we always say